everybody. Let's go ahead and turn uh, in our Bibles to Mark chapter 7. We'll be looking at verses 24 through 30. This morning, Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. The message today is entitled, Jesus, the Savior of the World. Jesus, the Savior of the world. As we think back to last week, uh, the message, it was, a, it was a tough one. It's a lot of self-examination as we looked at uh, the sinfulness of our hearts. The, the problem really is the problem of the heart. Uh, we are all born in sin. We are all sinners. We all choose to sin and we saw how the religious leaders of the Jews, the Pharisees, the scribes, uh, basically tried to make themselves right with God through their own man-made ways, the traditions of the elders. Uh, it really was about their good works, uh, their self-righteousness. And Jesus called, called them out. That it really wasn't uh, something that they could fix on their own. And also that they were failing to see the sinfulness of their own hearts. And he, he used the story of how it's not uh, anything from outside that defiles man, but it really is the defilement from within. It is our sin. But then if you remember, we left off on the good news, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we have a God who saves, a God who rescues sinners. And when, by God's grace, we come to realize uh, our sin against a holy God, uh, we see our need for, uh, for Christ, God's grace, His Spirit opens up our blind eyes to see that there is complete forgiveness. There's new life. There's eternal life. There's power over sin. And so today, Jesus is going to continue to show us the power of the gospel, that it wasn't just for the Jew, but the power of the gospel is for all people. It is also for the Gentile. Your know, 1 John 4.14 tells us, The Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Our Lord is a rescuer. Our Lord is a savior. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. So the gospel that I'm preaching to you this morning is the same gospel that Greg uh, preaches there in Africa. It's the same gospel, Pastor Jim, that Luke preached there in Nepal. It's the same gospel that John and Ari shared there in Japan. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's what we will see this morning. And also, we will get a glimpse at what genuine faith really looks like. What does it really mean to trust in Christ alone to save us from ourselves, to save us from our sin? 
So with all that being said, let's go to Mark 7. Verses 24 through 30, we'll read the passage and then we'll pray uh, together. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 24. And from there he arose and he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said unto her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you this morning because you first loved us. Father, we're thankful to be able to gather this morning, God, because you gave us the breath of life today. You gave us the ability to be here. God, you brought us here safely. We know that this is your day, God, this Lord's day. You've given us your word. And Father, I pray today that you would help me, this broken down sinner, to be able to share the words of life and that God you would help each of us to receive it for what it is and that God you would use it to transform us from the inside out that we would be like the Syrophoenician woman who desperately saw her need for Christ and bowed herself before you because Jesus you are the Lord your master your King, your Savior. And we come before you humbly now, asking God that you would speak for the glory of your name and for the good of your people. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So now when we look at verse 24, there in Mark 7, we see that Jesus, he arose and he goes to this different region. He had been doing a lot of ministry around the Sea uh, of Galilee, uh, the area of Gesineret, and it was mainly to a Jewish audience. But now Jesus goes northwest, 30, 40 miles from the Gesineret area, and he comes to Tyre, and he comes to Sidon, as the scripture says there. And what you need to know about this area that this was a pagan land. This was mainly a Gentile land. Now the scriptures don't tell us exactly why he went there, but most likely, uh, remember what we've learned so far, Jesus had become very popular. And everywhere he went, the crowds would gather. But Jesus also had got to the point where the Pharisees uh, the self-righteous religious ones were coming against him. And there was a lot of 
persecution. And, and Jesus was trying to train and disciple his disciples to prepare them for his crucifixion. And so he gets away to this area to hopefully get time away with the disciples uh, to train them. This is the last year of his public ministry. And it says that he entered a house and he did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. And so they go to this area, they go into this house. We don't know exactly whose house that it was, but even in this Gentile area, this, this region that was away from you know, Jerusalem, away from the Sea of Galilee, still Jesus was known. His fame went before him. And now we look at verse 25. It says immediately, that's a word that Mark uses often, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. So it didn't take long. Jesus is in this area and sure enough, this woman comes to him and she falls at his feet. And I want you to think about this. We can read that, that her little daughter had an unclean spirit, but I want you, especially the parents and grandparents that are here, I want you to think about how much that you love your kids and imagine one of your kids having an unclean spirit, having a demon. And that's where this woman found herself. Yes, she was a Gentile. Yes, she was a worshiper of pagan gods. But for any person to have a little child that was in such desperate need of how heartbroken she would have been. We don't know all the details, but I wonder how many things that she had tried to help her little girl. You know, in another passage of scripture, we see a little boy that had an unclean spirit and how he would have convulsions and he would throw himself into uh, the fire or into the water and how hard that would have been for that family. And again, we don't know for certain, but I wonder for this lady of what she had dealt with of her little girl. And how hard it would have been each and every day of just that battle for her girl and the things that she struggled with. And so she hears that Jesus has entered their area. We don't know how much she knew about Jesus, but here's what we do know. She knew enough that she needed to come. She was desperate. And I ask you this morning, are you desperate do you see your great need for jesus christ as she did and so now we go to verse 26 and we learn a little bit about this woman we see that she was a gentile you know the passage that pastor jim read this morning in isaiah 49 we know that we have jew and we have gentile and so this this woman was a, an outsider. And then it goes on to say that she was a Syrophoenician by birth. So at this point in time, underneath the Roman Empire, Syria, uh, Phoenician had kind of come together. It had merged. Uh, they had a, a Roman leader over that particular area. And so this was the, the region that she was from. And then it goes on to say that she 
begged Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. Now, in the parallel account in Matthew chapter 15, I believe it is, it tells us that she was also a Canaanite woman. This was a region that was filled with idol worship. Think of the false gods of Baal that we read about in the Old Testament and Ashtoreth. These people were far from the Lord God. Their hearts were filled with sin, filled with pagan practices, filled with sexual immorality. And so for this lady, it probably was no different. She had no hope. She didn't understand the truth. She had no salvation. Really, guys, if you think about this woman, from a Jewish perspective, she would have been seen as the low of the low. She would have been seen as the scum of the earth. The Canaanites were wicked people. They were so wicked that when you go to Deuteronomy chapter 7, you don't have to turn there. But God had told the Israelites to basically remove the Canaanites from the land. Because of all their idol worship, he didn't want his people to be corrupted by their pagan practices. One thing I want to share with you this morning, I don't know your heart, I don't know your past, but if you think that you're too wicked to come to the Lord Jesus, that you've done things that are unforgivable, this woman comes in all of her sin, in all of her idol worship, she comes before Christ. And this morning, Jesus invites you to come to bring your heart, to bring your situations, to bring your struggles, whatever may be going on in your life. The Lord Jesus says, come, come all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, Matthew 15, 22, let's turn there. Matthew 15, 22. This is the parallel account. Not only does she come, but I want you to see how she comes to Jesus. We have a little more detail in the Matthew account. Matthew chapter 15, verse 22. It says, Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and she was crying. And look at what she's crying out to the Lord. Have mercy on me. Oh, Lord, she understands that he's the master son of David. She has an understanding that he is the Messiah. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. It gets so bad. Look at verse 23. He, Jesus, did not answer her a word. So at first, Jesus is not responding to her cry. His disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. The disciples get to the point, they're like, Can we just send this lady away? She's annoying. 
We can't bear this anymore. This crying out. And I think we have to ask ourselves this morning, do we sadly get that way with people? Jesus, I sure hope I don't see so-and-so today. I really don't want to minister to them today. I really don't want to hear their cries and their pleas and their struggles. Let's ask ourselves this, parents, grandparents. Do we sometimes feel that way about our own kids? Really, Lord, do I have to deal with this again? When are they going to understand? When are they going to get this right? They're whining. They're complaining. And so for the disciples, remember what I told you on the front end. This is about Jesus training them. This is about him preparing them. For ministry after Christ is gone of what it looks like to be ministers of the gospel and once again we see in this passage they don't get it they don't want to have to deal with it they don't want to deal with this woman so I think part of the reason why Jesus doesn't respond initially is for the disciples to see their own heart to see their impatience now go back to Mark chapter 7. Look at verse 27. In Mark chapter 7. And Jesus says to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So Jesus now finally responds to this Gentile Syrophoenician woman, this unclean pagan woman. Now, let me say on the front end, if you don't understand context, you could really look at this and say, well, Jesus is being kind of mean and rude and disrespectful to this lady. He's calling her a dog. I mean, if I go and I call somebody a dog, they're probably going to think that I'm being disrespectful to them. So let's unpack what's going on in this verse. Now, in verse 27, when it says, let the children be fed first, well, that's referring to the Jews. That's referring to the Israelites. The Bible is very clear, guys. God chose Israel to be his people. They were his chosen nation. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Let's see it for ourselves. You guys, we could go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 when God chose the pagan Abram, uh, saved him by his grace. Chose him to be the father of not only of the nation of Israel, but of many nations. God choosing Israel to bless them with land, to bless them with the seed. The seed ultimately going to be the Messiah, Jesus. 
and God just blessing them in general. But also don't forget in that passage in Genesis 12, it talks about the blessing for the nations, not just for Jew, but for Gentile. But look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. God says this, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God chose Israel. Did he choose them because they were better? They were more in number. They were more powerful. They had the look to be chosen. No. Why did God choose them? His grace. His unconditional sovereign grace. Guys, may we never forget Psalms 115 verse 3, I believe it is. The Lord God sits on his throne and he does as he pleases. And for the good pleasure of the Lord, Pastor Jim, he chose Israel. He chose them to be his servant, to be a light of God, a light of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, did they always do very well with that? Not so much. Was that going to thwart or stop God's plan? No, not at all. Because before the foundation of the world, God's plan was in place, right? Out of Israel, who was going to come? We got Abraham. We got Isaac. We got Jacob. We got the 12 tribes. One of them, Judah. And who's the lion of the tribe of Judah? It's Jesus. The Messiah was coming from God's people, the Israelites. He's the servant, the suffering servant. Isaiah 49 that you read earlier, it's talking about Jesus. And he wasn't going to be just a light to the Jew. He was going to be a light to the nations. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. But you do need to understand it started with Israel. Why? Because that's the way God designed it. That's what the scriptures teach. So in Matthew 15, 24, you don't have to turn there, but Jesus even says initially to this woman that he was sent only to the house of Israel. Because when you think about his public ministry, who did Jesus start with? Where did he first teach and preach? It was in the synagogues. He started with Israel. But we know, and Pastor Jim, you'll get to this, in Romans chapter 11, who ultimately was going to be grafted in? The Gentile. Now, in all of this, in some way, Jesus is testing or he's showing her faith to be genuine. Because she could have been like, well, that's not fair. That's not right. How dare God 
talk about these children and then call me a dog. I have no need for this. But is that the response of this lady? Let's go back to Mark chapter 7. He says, let the children be fed first. So we just talked about that, the Israelites. It's not right to take the children's bread. Ultimately, we know that the bread is the word of God and throw it to the dogs. Now, here's another thing where you have to understand context. There's two words for dogs that are used in the New Testament. One of them refer, refers to wild dogs that are out on the streets and they're scavengers they're eating trash they're nasty they're dirty it's a very derogatory term and so for the jews typically that was the word that they used for the gentile they saw them as these wild nasty scavenger dogs we're jew you're gentile we don't like you we don't want to be around you that kind of attitude but that's not the word that Jesus uses in referring to this lady. He uses a different Greek word that actually is the word that means a little dog, a domesticated dog, a pet, the family dog. And so if there are any animal lovers here this morning, this is like your little dog that is in the house that sometimes gets treated maybe <laughs> like the dog is a kid you know i thought about my dad and his little dog bella and sometimes i wonder does he love that dog more than he loves me because he takes care of that dog he feeds that dog by hand and carries her out and all this stuff and and so for the animal lovers here you can appreciate that this reference to her being a dog it's actually a term of endearment it, it's a it's a nice term now, she's not a child, she's not a Jew, but yet she's not seen as this wild scavenger dog in the eyes of Christ. You know, Matthew 15, 24, you don't have to turn back there, but in all of this, hear me say this, it doesn't deter this lady at all. You know what her response is after Jesus refers to her as a dog? Jesus, please help me. Help me. Look at her response in verse 28. After she says, Lord, help me, there in the account in Matthew, she answers him in verse 28. Yes, Lord. Again, she recognizes he has the authority. He's the master. But then look at what she says. This is like the key verse. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Jesus, I understand I'm not one of the children. I understand I don't deserve a seat at the table. I understand that I'm just this little dog. But even the dog the dogs get to eat the crumbs from the table. That is what genuine faith really looks like. 
This is a lady that's desperate. This is a lady that's dependent. This is a lady that's humble. This is a lady that understands her position as a sinner against a holy God. That really all she deserves is God's wrath and judgment. And yet, she's not deterred. She knows her only hope is Christ. Is that you this morning? By God's grace, do you understand your only hope is Jesus? Or are you still trying to tell God how good you are of why you deserve this or why you deserve that? Or do you see your utter need for Christ? Guys, this is what genuine faith, the cry of salvation looks like. Repentance and faith. This lady is not about herself. She's turning from self. She's denying herself. And she's submitting herself to Christ. Jesus, I'm fine with just the crumbs from the table. Jesus, whatever you want to give me is perfectly fine with me. Because Jesus, you're enough. Your word is enough. And if I need to be at the table begging for the crumbs, I will do it. Is that your heart this morning? I want you to think about the difference between this Gentile woman and the religious Pharisees. We've seen her recognition of her sin and her dependence upon Christ. Where when you go back to Matthew chapter 7 and you, excuse me, Mark chapter 7 and the chapters before, and you think about the Pharisees, they were self righteous. They didn't see their need for Jesus. They wanted no part of Jesus. He was a threat to their power, their position. They were perfectly fine without him. That was their mindset. That was their heart. They were so hard-hearted. To the point, think about how they referred to Jesus. They didn't come to him begging for the crumbs from the table. No, they said, you're possessed by a demon. You're a crazy man. You're a drunkard. Because you hang out with sinners. What's your attitude in your heart this morning to Jesus? Is it of utter dependence upon him? Or is your attitude of self-righteousness that you really don't need him? So now look at verse 29 back in Mark chapter 7. Jesus responds. He says to her, Let the children... Oh, excuse me, verse 29. He says to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Guys, there's not very often in Scripture where Jesus is astonished or impressed or uses the words, this is great faith. But if you go back to Matthew 15, that's what he calls this woman's faith. He's telling the disciples, because remember, he's training them. He's equipping them through this whole interaction with this woman. 
And he tells them, he tells her, this is great faith. This is what it looks like to trust me. Your daughter as well. So look at verse 30. She goes home. She finds her child lying in bed. And the demon is gone. For however many years it had been, this little girl had been possessed by a demon. We don't even really know, again, what all that looks like. But all the struggles, all that this mom had gone through, all that this little girl had gone through, and now she's lying in bed peacefully and the demon is gone. And I want you to think about the power and the authority of Jesus. Did Jesus even have to go to where this little girl was? Nope. Why? Because God is omnipresent and he has all power. He's omnipotent. And in his power and in his authority, he cast this demon out of this little girl. And she's now resting. She's lying in bed. Again, I don't know what you may be struggling with this morning. But the same power and authority that cast the demon out of this little girl, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, is the same power that will help you in whatever situation you're in. But will you cry out to the Lord in faith, in trusting every situation in your life to Christ? So here's the takeaway. Number one, we've learned today that the gospel really is for all people. Yes, it was for the Jew, but it's for the Gentile alike. And by the way, the gospel is for the people in our lives that maybe we have a hard time loving. The disciples didn't want to have anything to do with this Syrophoenician woman and her cries for help and mercy. But Jesus didn't turn her away. That's the second truth from this morning. If you come to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, admitting your sin agreeing with him that you are a sinner and that you need salvation, you need forgiveness, you need a new heart, you need a new life, Jesus will not turn you away. All that cry out to him in repentance and faith will be saved. I want you to think with me for just a moment. Think about the prostitute Rahab in Jericho. Was she a likely candidate for salvation? Prostitute. Pagan, Gentile, Jericho's about to be destroyed by God, and yet God spares Rahab and her family. I want you to think about Ruth, the Moabite woman. Pagan, Gentile, worshiping false gods, but when she hears the truth about the one true God, she tells Naomi, your God will be my God. And she comes to faith. And she ultimately finds herself in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Pastor Doug, I remember when you preached about Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army. God used a little slave girl to tell Naaman the truth. He had leprosy. Pagan. 
Gentile. But God showed him mercy and granted him healing. Well, you may say, well, that's just Old Testament. Well, think about the New Testament. You know, the other instance when Jesus says, I haven't seen great faith like this in Israel before. The Roman centurion, pagan, Gentile, Roman. He begs Jesus to heal his servant and Jesus heals him and recognizes this man's faith. Think about John chapter 4. The Samaritan woman at the well. Half-breed. Seen as a dog by the Jews. But what does Jesus do? He talks to her. And ultimately, he saves her soul. Or maybe Acts chapter 10. Cornelius, the Roman centurion. Gentile. Pagan. And yet, God sends Peter, who ultimately was focusing on the Jew, to tell this Gentile the good news of Christ. Remember last week when we talked about how Jesus made it clear that none of the foods were unclean, that all was clean before the Lord? There was something bigger going on. It wasn't just about foods. It really is about people. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Turn to Acts chapter 10, 34 and 35. If you want to know why we focus so much on missions here at Everglades, look at what God says in Acts 10, 34 and 35. So this is the story of the Roman centurion. Acts 10, 34 says, So Peter opened his mouth and he said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You see this morning as the gospel is going forth to you, the gospel is going forth in Africa today. The gospel is going forth in Europe today. The gospel is going forth in Asia today. And I could go on and on and on. And God has and is and will save a people for himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So guess what, church? What are we to be about? The nations, missions, the glory of God filling the earth. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation matters. And finally this morning, Hebrews eleven six says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Are you desperate this morning like the Syrophoenician woman? She believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And she was saved and her daughter was healed. Christian, are you resting and trusting in the truth of Christ this morning? Or do you have stuff in your life right now that you're trying to handle in your own power? And you've forgotten the most important thing. Pray, trust, and depend 
upon the Lord God Almighty in every single area of your life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for this amazing reminder that Jesus, you are mighty to save. It doesn't matter our background. It doesn't matter how sinful we may be. As the Apostle Paul said, Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the chiefest, the foremost. And so God, I pray that as your gospel is going forth today, that you would save and rescue sinners. And then, Father, not only do you save us from the penalty of sin, but you work in our lives, our daily lives, our struggles. And just as this particular woman had a struggle with her daughter, God, you brought healing. You brought restoration. And God, I pray that you would do that in each of the, the lives of your people here today. Whatever the situations may be, Lord, may we pray and we cry out to you. And then, God, may we glorify you as we see you work in ways, God, that all we can say is that was the Lord God Almighty. And that we would give you all the praise, honor, and glory. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray together. Amen. Well, let's stand. Let's worship our Lord. I believe the song is, All We Have Is Christ. <laughs> 